0: The weight of his awaiting
1: Jesus said, ask, and you will receive. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened unto you. Jesus is encouraging us to respond to God's grace, and by our faith, we will. My name is Hal Brady, and I'm so delighted you've joined us tonight for this program. It is my prayer that both the word and the music will be a blessing. Would you hear now, please, the reading of God's word. It comes from Mark's Gospel, Chapter 1, 1 and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying with a loud voice came out of him. They were all amazed and they kept on asking one another, what is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. At once his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, which are thy strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Not long ago, I was having lunch with a minister friend. After we had talked a while, he turned to me and said, Do you have any advice to give me as I pick up to a faster pace as I move to a larger church? And I looked at him and I said, Keep up your devotional life. To me, that is the single most important thing any of us can do as a follower of Jesus Christ. Keep faith with our devotional life. We will never rise above our devotional life. And we have Jesus as our example to go by. Now, I know that our spirituality is not an extra. It is indeed the very essence of who we are. New Testament professor Robert Mulholland Jr. expressed this very idea when he wrote, spiritual formation is a process of being conformed to the image of Christ for the sake of others. Would you hear that again? Spiritual formation is a process of being conformed to the image of Christ for the sake of others. Now Jesus spent quality time in meditation and communion with his heavenly father. For me, This is what people are talking about when they sense the authority of Jesus in his preaching and his teaching. And I think we need to hear again what this scripture says. They said, he speaks with authority. We've never heard it like this before. So his words, as powerful as they were, are not the only source of his authority. It was Jesus' devotional life that was the source of his authority. It was the countless hours he spent in communion and in study and in prayer with his heavenly father. It was those times that he developed his spiritual life with his heavenly father. More than anything else, it was the authority of the authentic life of Jesus. It was the authority of the authentic life of Jesus that changed people's lives and helped them to really get in contact with Jesus and who he was. And the same will be true of us. Listen to these words Oh, begin. Fix some part of every day for private exercises. Whether you like it or not, read and pray daily. It is your life, and there is no other, else you will be a trifler all your days. These are the words of John Wesley to one of his itinerant preachers, but these are also Wesley's words to those of us who would seek to follow Christ. Tonight, I want us to take a look at what might be the composition of a meaningful devotional life. First of all, solitude solitude. It has been said and it's so true. Solitude is the furnace of transformation. I really believe solitude comes first because in the keeping of our devotional life, it's not the great things that bother us. It's just the little things that cause us to have a difficult time of setting aside some time and place to converse with the Heavenly Father. You see, we have not learned to live up to the accelerated civilization we have created. It's hard for us to realize that the pace of our lives has interrupted the Spirit of God in our lives. John Killinger, the great preacher, teacher, told of a man who sent him an essay about his grandfather. The young man told about his grandfather how he would go out on the porch every night. He would sit in the rocking chair and he would gaze up into the heavens and look at the stars. And then the grandfather said, everybody ought to sit on the porch, the front porch, every night. The reason we have trouble in the world is because people are not sitting on the front porch anymore at night. What he was simply saying was that people do not take the time to cultivate their spiritual lives anymore, and he's right. A minister moved to a, another city, and he contacted a wise person. He asked this wise person how he can remain spiritually healthy. This wise person said to him, you must eliminate ruthlessly the hurry in your life. There was a silence. The minister wrote that down. He said, that's at the top of the list and that's good, but what else? He said, there is nothing else. There is nothing else. Now, I want us to think just for a minute about how solitude or silence helps us in our devotional life. First of all, solitude is often the first real indication that the presence of God's Spirit is noticeably recognized. Now, we don't really have much of a serious devotional life if we're not willing to take time apart and to listen and to be with God. Real friends will be together and they'll shut out the other distractions. And then secondly, solitude does not simply mean privacy or some place where we go to be renewed to face the competitions of life. Many of the great saints have said that solitude is the place of conversion. It's where the old self dies and the new self comes into being. There was a Catholic priest that told about this peasant that came to the church every day and he would sit there for a couple of hours. One day this Catholic priest said to him, he said, what do you do during all those hours? The peasant replied, I look at him and he looks at me and we are both happy, and we are both happy. And then something else I want to remind you about solitude. Solitude opens the space where God's word can be heard. Here's something that Henry Nouwen said, silence is the discipline that helps us to go beyond the entertainment quality of our lives. Silence is what enables us to hear God's word. It enables us to meditate on God's word. Now I don't know about you, but most of us have cell phones. Occasionally when I get in my car, I will talk to somebody on that cell phone and then occasionally some static will set into the cell phone. Well, I don't just take the cell phone and throw it out the window in a hopeless chase. I simply say, I can't hear you, I'm losing you, I'll call you back in a few minutes, and then I head off in another direction to try to re-establish our connection. Well, solitude is what cuts out the static in our lives that enables us to re-establish our connection with God. Remember the prophet Elijah? He didn't find God in the wind or the rain or the earthquake. He found God in the still, small voice. And what was it the psalmist said? The psalmist said, be still and know that I am God. What was the psalmist saying? He was saying, listen, in all the hustle and bustle of your life, slow down. Life is more than just about you and your interest and your concerns and your plans. Life is much bigger than that. Be still and know that I am God. There is a connection between being still and knowing God. So the first thing would have to be solitude. And then secondly, as we continue the development of our spiritual life, there is something called consistency. A second hallmark in a meaningful spiritual life or devotional life has to be consistency. My doctor tells me that I need to be consistent in exercise. He tells me I need to do it on a regular basis. I need to watch my diet. I need to regularly do these exercises and I need to get a good night's sleep. He's talking about being consistent for our physical well-being. Well, we also need to be consistent for our spiritual well-being. Now, I'm not talking about being slavish to some kind of devotional schedule where we get up every morning at 4.30. I'm not talking about that because there are times when we need to take care of our physical health. There are times when we might need to sleep late, but I am talking to you about the advantage of being consistent in our devotional life. In my case, it has to be every morning early. Consistency has something to do with discipline. It has something to do with our growing in the faith. Now, many of us know that John Wesley was very consistent in his devotional life. He was consistent day in and day out. As a matter of fact, he was consistent all the time. One of the professors said for over 60 years, he was consistent in his daily devotional life whether things were going good, whether he was in a dry season, he was continuing to be consistent. In my own life, when my father died, I remember I felt numb. I did not particularly want to continue in my spiritual practices. I didn't feel like praying. I didn't feel like reading the Bible. But I did because it was a regular habit of my life. And God used that to enable me to deal with my father's grief. Now, in my own private life of a meaningful devotion. Quite often God speaks to me the name of persons or situations and I have to get up and go get a piece of paper and write down the name of the situation and then then go back and refocus on God. Dr. Lloyd Ogilvie, former chaplain of the United States Senate, he said that he called a friend in another denomination and he called this friend, he wanted to speak to him, the secretary answered and he asked to speak to this doctor, and the secretary said, I'm sorry he can't speak to you right now, he's celebrating. Dr. Ogilvie said, well, I like the idea of celebrating, but what is he celebrating at this hour of the day? And his secretary said, he's celebrating Holy Communion. Boy, I like that. Not only is he putting emphasis on the Holy Communion, he's putting emphasis on his own daily devotional life. I think that minister realizes that if he's going to be present to somebody, he cannot be present to everybody all the time. In other words, there has to be a consistent time of taking care of our devotional life. And then there's a third thing that's involved in a meaningful devotional life, and that has to be something that we call balance. Balance. A third hallmark of a meaningful devotional life is balance. We cannot simply spend all of our time in a single area of life, if we're going to have a meaningful devotional life. In other words, we have to have a balance in Bible reading. We have to read both the Old and the New Testaments. We have to have a balance in reading other devotional material of different theological persuasions. We're talking about conservative and liberal. If we're liberal, we read conservative. If we are conservative, we read liberal. We read it all. And then there is prayer. Now, let me tell you something, beloved. If we're going to be good students of the faith, we have to steep ourselves in this word. We have to read both the Old and the New Testaments. We have to understand that in the Old and New Testaments, there are certain heroes and heroines of the faith. We are their kin people. It would not be very appropriate if we ourselves do not know our own family heritage or our kin people. We have to know these heroes and heroines of the faith because they are our relatives. Now it's said that John Wesley was a man of one book, but he was also a man of many books. He was well read, he knew the classics. The sources were Puritan and Anglican and Moravian and Roman Catholic. He knew all of those sources. Let me just remind you of a few sources that might be beneficial to you in your own devotional life. I've acquired a couple of them here today. One is Henry Nowen, this is a great book. It's called The Only Necessary Thing. It's dealing with a frail life. And then A Serious Call to a Devout and Holy Life by William Law. This influenced John Wesley in a great way. And then a more modern book, Ben Witherington III, he was a professor at Asbury, has written this book called Shared Christian Life. This is important. And then Beginning to Pray by Anthony Bloom. There are a few others, The Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis, The Confessions of St. Augustine by St. Augustine, and the list goes on and on and on. The important thing is that we read this literature and try to understand how God was talking to them and how God talks to us. And then there is prayer. There is this thing called prayer. A few years ago when I was in Estonia, I remember hearing about some Roman some Russian priest who went to the prison, they allowed him to go to the priest along with some late people, and they made a witness to the prisoners. Well, the Russian executives realized that what they were doing was valuable, so they gave them a room. The prisoners got so much out of it that they refurbished the room. Hope was acquired by many of these prisoners. And finally, these prisoners made this statement. We would never have survived without that chapel. They called that room a chapel. We would never have survived without it. Just as those Russian prisoners would never have survived without that chapel, we will not survive without meaningful prayer lives. Now, prayer is probably the very heart of our devotional life. Prayer is not where we inform God of our needs. Prayer is our invitation to God to come into our lives, to rule our lives. And there is all kinds of prayer. Prayers of adoration, prayers of thanksgiving, Prayers of confession, prayers of petition, and prayers of intercession, prayers of thanksgiving, and prayers of listening. I think it was George Bernard Shaw that wrote a book about Joan of Arc. And in that book, a person asked Joan, Why is it that I can't hear God speaking like you say He speaks to you all the time? Joan of Arc said, God does speak to you all the time. You just don't listen. You just don't listen. Prayer is talking, but prayer is listening. Listening is not easy, but prayer is listening. So we're talking about balance in our devotional life. And then there's one other word we need to look at here, and that is the word corporate. A fourth hallmark of a meaningful prayer life is corporate. We're talking about community and we're talking about church here. John Wesley never let his devotional life become private religion. He formed the societies He formed societies so people could develop meaningful lives of discipleship. They could nurture each other and they could hold each other accountable. As far as Wesley was concerned, there was no holiness but social holiness. And if our faith is working like it ought to be, our prayer lives would get us back out into the world in terms of ministry in the name and for the sake of Jesus Christ in the world. John Wesley had a sermon on the use of money. He said three things. He said, first, earn all you can, honestly. Secondly, save all you can in order to give all you can. in no words. He said, if you do those first two things without the last, you may be a live person, but you are a dead Christian. You are a dead Christian. And then there is Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa said this, and I think we need to listen to this. She said, my citizenship is Indian. My blood and origin are Albanian. I'm a Catholic nun. As to my calling, I belong to the whole world. As to my heart, I belong entirely to the heart of Christ. That pretty well sums it up, doesn't it? We belong to the world, and yet we belong solely to Jesus Christ. How very important. Dr. Rod Wilmoth, who was former minister of the Hennepin United Methodist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota, He said one Sunday he told his congregation they were celebrating Metro Sunday. Metro Sunday, he said, is an attempt by this community, an interfaith attempt to get the community together to deal with community, social, economic, divisive issues. And the theme of that particular uh, attitude was rebuild the city, revise the common good. Rebuild the city, revise the common good. Every community needs that rebuild the city, revise the common good. And that should be the theme of all of us as we get up from our prayer tables and we walk out into the community to do something for God through Jesus Christ. Now, John Wesley also had a strong inclination toward the church. He could never see himself outside the church and he could never see his disciples outside the church either. So our devotional life has many, many facets. It has solitude, consistency, balance and the corporate. And so I say to you what I said to my friend, the most serious thing we can do as disciples of Jesus Christ is to keep faith with our devotional lives. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity of being called into service and to ministry together. We're grateful you call us to develop our spiritual lives but we know that our spiritual eyes also touch our communal life. So help us, O God, to be faithful to share and be the witness of Christ to the world around us. We'll be sure to give you the praise and the glory for all things. It's in your name. Amen. Thank you again for joining me tonight. I pray that this service has been meaningful to you, both word and music, and you'll continue to be with us and share this time with other people. Thank you very much and I hope you have a pleasant evening. Good night.
0: I see the cloud
1: I step in
0: I want to see your glory as Moses Flashes of
2: light,
0: rolls of thunder, I'm not afraid, I'm not afraid. to walk in your presence like Jesus did glory surrounds me and I'm overwhelmed
2: I'm not afraid Oh!